be in the book of Job. I'm just going to continue where I left off. Last time I was on the pulpit, which was a little while ago, uh, it was chapter 10. I didn't get through the full chapter. We left off chapter 10, verse 12. So that's where I'm going to pick up tonight. There is outlines on the back table. If you don't have an outline, one can be brought to you. Does everyone have an outline or does anyone want an outline for tonight? Okay. So uh, the outline, I'm going to start a little bit with the history of the book of Job. So the book of Job, for those of you who might not know, uh, Job was a righteous man, and he lived in the, in the city of Uz. Now, what happened, you could kind of say, and this is for a lack of word, maybe not the right way to articulate it, but Satan kind of bet God. What he said to God was, hey, Job loves you, and he worships you and praises you because you've never touched him. You've done nothing but bless him, but you've never tested him. So God allows Satan to go ahead and test Job. And I always say this, right, you've heard it said, uh, uh, faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. But also this, what Satan was saying that if man has everything taken from him and all man has left is you, God, he won't worship you anymore. He won't praise you. That's why it's very important for us to have a close relationship with the Lord. Amen? For us to always be in communion with God, to have that close relationship for when trials do come. So God allows Satan. First, Satan says, hey, you go ahead and touch him. But the thing is, he's tempting God. And God says, no, he's a righteous man. But he does allow Satan to touch him. The first thing Satan does is he takes, off his, he takes away his children. Uh, first, actually, he takes away all his wealth. He destroys his wealth. He destroys his... Um, am I on the mic? I am? Okay, I didn't, I didn't hear anything. So I was kind of talking loud. But the first thing he does is he takes away his wealth. And he loses all his cattle. Second thing he does, Satan comes back and he takes away his children. The house falls on them. And all his children die at once. That's why it's important for us to be right with God. Because we could go at any minute. Amen? And God will take us home. But when we close our eyes here on earth as believers, where do we open them? In heaven. Amen? So that's the first thing he does. Now... In this, then the three friends come to visit him. So Job's in mourning. He's lost his kids. He's lost all his wealth. His wife is no longer on his side. She's asking him to curse God. Again, the woman's probably asking him to curse God because her husband has been through so much, right? If you put yourself in that place. Job also now is very sick because Satan also, after he took his kids and his wealth, asked if he could go back. And that's the thing with Satan, guys. When he attacks us, he might go away for a minute, right? We might go through trials, but then he comes back, and he comes back immediately. If God allows him to, God is in control. God is sovereign. So Satan comes back and makes him sick. He's got boils all over him. Uh, He's really suffering physical. So put yourself in that situation. You're suffering physically. You've lost all your children instantly. Can you imagine losing your whole family? Imagine losing your wife. Imagine losing your brother, sisters, nephews, all in one day. Just imagine being in that situation. Losing everything you've accumulated in life, your house, your car, your 401K, medical insurance, all your friends. Later on, we'll find in the chapters coming up that his friends are basically have all turned their back on him. The family's turned his back on him. And kids, teenagers in the streets that Job describes as someone that he wouldn't even have watch his dogs are spitting at him and spitting in his face. So it's pretty bad for Job at this point. So his friends come to talk to him, three friends, and they're silent for seven days. They don't say a word for seven days. That was the thing they did right, right? When someone's mourning and someone's hurting and they've lost a lot and they're going through a tremendous trial, we should be there to listen, to encourage them, and to have compassion and empathy towards them as Christians. Amen? Right? The last thing we want to do is attack them, right? or start accusing them of what happened to them is because of their sin. It might be, but that's not our place at that time. It's to comfort them and to, and to cry with them and mourn with them, amen, and to support them. His friends come, they're silent for seven days, but then they start to speak, and that's kind of where we're at now. So now they're starting to speak to Job, and they're accusing him of sin. Job is now defending himself of that sin because Job's like, I have not sinned. I have not sinned against God. But yet everyone is accusing him of that because what they've seen in the past is that if you sin, you're wicked. And if you're wicked, you're cut down by God. God will punish you. So this is where we're at now. Chapter 7, we saw the following. Job spoke. He makes an appeal to God. He says, I'm like a laborer. I'm someone who's worked hard all day in the sun. And if you guys have worked in the sun before, or if you've worked your job, right, and you, you work really hard and you put blood, sweat, and tears into your job, at the end of two weeks or at the end of the week, what do you expect to get? You expect to get paid, right, for your labor. But what Job is saying is, there's no reward in this. I've served you, Lord, and there's no reward because look at what's happened. In my righteousness, look at what's happened to me. Also in chapter 7, 
he becomes very hopeless. He knows that death is coming soon, and he knows that someone has to save him from this. So he is looking outside of his own power because he has no power left. He's sick. He's like, someone has to reach down and save me from this. He also believed God focused on him in that chapter. That when he slept, he had nightmares. And when he would have nightmares at night, and this is very unfortunate, he thought they came from God. Because God had allowed all the other things to happen to him. He thought those things were happening to him because of God. So therefore he thinks, when I'm at sleep at night, I'm having nightmares, that must be from God as well. But we know it wasn't, right? He had become bitter towards God, and he starts to question God's character. At the end of chapter 7, Job asked God, What have I done to you, O watcher of men? He tells God, if I've sinned, then why don't you just forgive me? Maybe there's sin that I've committed, God, that I don't even know what that sin is. Maybe there's something I did, a gray area, where I didn't realize it was sin. So now he's getting to the point where he's like, maybe there is something I've done that I'm paying for, but I don't know what it is. I've been there before too, right? Sometimes we walk a line where Sometimes we forget what we did yesterday, what we did last week, and we wonder, did we step over the line with God? So King David used to say this, and this is one of my favorite verses. Who can understand his error or sin, you might put it? Cleanse me. He said this in Psalms, by the way, Psalm 19.12. David says, cleanse me from secret faults. In other words, cleanse me or forgive me from my secret sins, sins I don't even know about. And then David goes on to say, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, failing to see the limits of what's permitted. That's what presumptuous means. So maybe I fail to see the limits of what's sin and what's not. That's what David was saying. Let them not have dominion over me, the rest of that verse. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent. I shall be innocent of great transgression. So David thought the same thing. David prayed the same thing. I've actually prayed that before. I guess just to be in sure standing with God, right? And I don't mind praying, even if I committed a sin that I don't know about. I'm, I'm fine asking for forgiveness. We should always be able to come to God asking for forgiveness because he is a forgiving God and a loving God, amen? Chapter eight, Bildad speaks for the first time and this is his first speech. And in this speech, and it, I wish it was his last speech, but it was not Bildad's last speech. In fact, these guys, I think, will all speak three times. In Bildad's speech, he answers Job appeals, Job's appeal now to God about why is God targeting him. Bildad asks a question, Bildad states something to be true, and Bildad points to something he's seen in the past. The first thing that he asks, the question is, can you, Job, question God's character? Who are you? You're just a man. How can you question God's character? He's God. Amen. Bildad states, Job's kids, so this is a statement. He says, your kids have died, Job, because, Job, they were wicked. So he's making the assumption, hey, you know what? Your kids are dead because they sinned. And they're wicked people. But he did not know that. And as far as we know from the text in chapter 1 uh, and chapter 2, we don't know anything about the kids' walk with the Lord. We do know Job sacrificed on their behalf, but it does not specifically tell us whether they're wicked. I'm assuming if it doesn't, I don't speak into the silence of the Bible, so I'm assuming they hadn't sinned. Bildad points that in the past, he sees the wicked suffer and they're cut down, that the wicked are punished for sin. So he's going by what he's seen in the past and accusing Job's children and Job of that. Chapter 8 closes with these verses of an unknown prophecy. So again, Bildad's going to get this right about what's going to happen to Job, but he wasn't speaking from knowledge, and he wasn't speaking from foretelling the future because he didn't know what was going to happen to Job. But here's what he said. Job chapter 8, verse 20 through 22. I'll read it to you. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold evildoers, Job. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing, Job. Those who hate you, Job, will be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. Now, those of you who know the book of Job, right, when we get to chapter 40 through 42, we do see Job restored, right? So in a sense, he got this right, but he didn't know that, right? And then in chapter 9, Job speaks. Now Job speaks back to Bildad. He says he speaks of an infinite God, a great God. Here's some of the things Job states in chapter 9. That God removes mountains. He shakes the earth. He commands the sun and it does not rise. That in verse 8 he says he alone spreads out the heaven, heavens. And I love this. And he says, and he treads on waves of the sea. 
Now, the reason I love this verse, this is long before the New Testament, right? This is long before Moses. This is long before we know of Christ or Job knew of Christ. But what he said was, he treads on the waves of the sea. What tread means is to march or to walk on top of something or to hear the footsteps of something or somebody walking on top of something. Yet the Father is spirit, right? God the Father is spirit. He doesn't walk on water. But who do we know who does walk on water? Jesus. Job in this book, in this verse, in chapter 9, is pointing towards Christ. Yes, he doesn't even know it yet. And that's why I love that verse. He acknowledges in this chapter God's greatness as he points to Jesus walking on water as well. He also asks this question in this chapter. How can a man be righteous before God? How can a man be righteous before God? And he's not asking about the righteousness of salvation, right? Where Jesus lived our life. Jesus lived, we, we get the reward as if we lived Jesus' life, right? Under salvation and eternal life with, with uh, God the Father and Christ. He doesn't understand salvation yet when he says righteous because Jesus hadn't come yet. But he's asking the question, how can a man stand before such a perfect and just and righteous God when we're just men? How can we ever live up to what God is? Because God is holy and I'm a man who has faults. I'm a man who has sins. I'm a man who's imperfect, trying to live up to a perfect God. So what he's saying is, how can I stand before God if I were able to plead my case? How could he ever find me righteous when he's holy and way up here and I'm here? That's what he's asking. He does state this, that God is all-knowing. And if God is all-knowing, then he knows what? He knows Job's sin. Job is basically coming to the conclusion, like I said, that if he stands before God, he will be condemned. And this is before the Mosaic Law and before the Torah, right, when we had the law. And what was the law? The law was there as a tutor, right? The law is there to realize um, that we are sinners, right? And to point us to Christ, who is the one who pays for that sin on the cross, and then we have salvation. The law condemns, right? But Jesus comes to free us of that condemnation. And it says this in Galatians 3.10. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things, we are written in the book of the law to do them. The law was a curse because we could never live up to it, right? We could never be pronounced righteous basically by doing these things because we would always come up short. Therefore, Jesus comes to earth. He fulfills the law as it says in the Bible, right? He fulfills it and then dies and takes the wrath of his father for the sin and then declares us righteous. In Galatians 3.24, it says this, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to who? To Christ, that we might be justified by our faith. So Christ on the cross justifies us. Justice is served when his father took his wrath upon his son. Amen? Job concludes, um, there's no chance to defend myself. Now in his despair, here's where he makes a mistake in this chapter. He accuses God of being an unjust judge. Now, here's why we can never accuse God of being unjust. Because if God is perfect, but yet we think he's unjust, is an, uh, then an unjust person can't be perfect because they've ruled incorrectly, right? If a judge rules incorrectly, then he's not perfect. But if God is perfect, then he will have perfect judgment with us and with everything in our lives, amen? So God is just and God is perfect. Job made that mistake. And then he goes on to say in that chapter, God laughs at the suffering of the innocent that God actually laughs when people suffer. Job's talking a little bit too much and trying to figure out things. Waiting on the Lord, amen? He closes chapter 9 with this amazing verse. Job 9, and it's uh, 32 through 35. For God is not a man as I am, I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any, and I love this, nor is there any mediator between me and God who may lay his hand on both of us, a mediator that can lay his hand on man and a mediator that can lay his hand on the shoulder of God and somehow mediate between the two. And I said this last time I was here because I remembered it when I did this. That's a cross. Jesus has his hand on us and up to the Father. There's actually a picture you guys may have seen. You ever seen that one on Facebook where it shows God holding the hand of mankind, holding the hand of a human, and then holding the hand of his father. Amen? Praise God we have a mediator. Amen? Praise God we had Jesus on that cross. 
And then he says this. That was verse 33, a mediator who can lay his hand on us. 34, he says this. Let him take, God, his rod away from me. And do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him. But it is not so with me. What Job is saying is, man, I'm scared of God in this righteousness and this wrath that he can bring upon me because I'm not a righteous man. He's like, I don't even feel comfortable speaking before God because I am not a righteous man. He's scared of God. If only there was a mediator, and then he's asking God when he says, let him take away his rod from me, that's God's wrath. He's saying, hey, take away your wrath from me. And who do we know that took the wrath of God for us? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. He just didn't know it yet. Amen? So now we start in chapter 10. That's where we'll pick up. If you have an outline, verses 1 through 12. All right, excuse me. Chapter, chapter, or verse 12, sorry. My notes, I wrote them down wrong. So chapter 10, verse 12. Oh, actually, sorry, I'm doing a recap of 1 through 12 because I left off last time at verse 12. So in, verse, in chapter 10, Job has been worn down. He says that he loathes, basically life disgusts him and his life. And then he's now going to complain from the bitterness of his soul. He's basically saying God the creator is unfair with his creation. Is God an unfair judge? He's saying is God like man? Because men, when we judge, we're unfair, Right? We can be unfair. Sometimes we don't even mean to be unfair, but we make the wrong judgments. He's like, is God like man that this is happening to me? And then also in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 10, um, he says it's not fair for God to condemn a righteous man. Do you condemn me because you despise me, God? So he's kind of looking at God going, if you give me all these blessings and you take away all this stuff from me and I can't be right before your eyes, why did you create me? Do you despise me? Did you just create me to to destroy me, right? Many times, unbelievers, we can try to make God out to be like a man in his judgments and in his character, align God's character with our character. So sometimes, right, we, oh, it's okay if a man wants to be a woman. No, it's not, because in the beginning, God created man and woman, it says, right? And it's scientifically and biologically correct. There's no disputing that even scientifically, or, hey, well, I believe God's okay with homosexuality. No, you have to read Romans 1. He's not, right? But, see, we try to make God out to be into our character because we're okay with it. Well, then my God should be okay with it. But we don't do that. See, we don't bring God down to an understanding that we have. We take God's understanding and we come up to his understanding. Amen? Well, I don't need to go to church. A lot of people have heard that, right? But what does it say in Hebrews chapter 10? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together all that much more as the day is approaching. You guys are all here tonight seeking the Lord, amen? We should be here. We should be here on Sundays. We should be seeking fellowship. I always say this in church. When we come to church, church is the one place we get to do all that God asks us, right? We get to come in here. We get to worship with worship music. We come to get the word of God and we get taught the word of God, right? We study the word of God. We get to fellowship with one another and godly fellowship. We get to pray for one another, which God asks us to pray without ceasing, right? We get to give to the Lord when we tithe to him and we give of the first of our offerings that we purposed in our hearts as cheerful givers, right? And we get to serve in ministry because people bring kids in there and bring people in here to be ministered to, guys, and we get to minister to them and encourage them. So all these things God asks us to do, we get to do on one day within an hour and a half. So if you're saved, why would you not want to be here? Amen? Amen, it's a beautiful thing. And I always say that to people who tell me, oh, well, I don't need to go to church. I remember Josh said one time, and I actually said it to someone <laughs> recently. I said, you don't, have to, um, you don't have to go to church to be saved, but saved people go to church. And it didn't go over too well. I don't think they were happy with me saying that. And I had to explain, and I went into that, what I just told you guys. If all these things are happening, these beautiful things for the Lord, why would I want to miss that? Amen. So God is the so God doesn't need to understand us. We need to understand him. His word is absolute authority over us. Job asked God at the end of this chapter, do you see sin as man sees sin regarding his sin? And what he's saying is he's like, man looks on the outer. Man can only see what's on the outside. So his friends who are now accusing him of sin, 
Maybe they see something differently, but they can only see Job's actions, right? Like, I can't tell the sin you guys have in your heart. I can't. I can only see your actions on the outside. So if I was ever going to say, I know you sinned or I'm accusing you of sin, I would have had to have seen you do something. But God knows the inside of man's heart, right? He says, if we've even thought it, we've already committed it, right? And that's what Job's saying. Job's like, wait, you don't see like man sees. I understand they're accusing me of sin, but God, you're punishing me for sin, but you see my heart. I didn't do anything. What have I done, Father? You see my heart. You know I haven't sinned. Job tells God, your hands made me, but to only destroy me? So here you are, you created me, you knew me in my mother's womb, you brought me out of my mother's womb, you knew me before I was in there, just to live this life, then to take everything from me and just to destroy me, this was my purpose? But we read this and we know this, and it's so awesome, it's in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, guys, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That was not his intention with Job, nor is it an intention with any of us in here. If you're going through a really hard time, God has a purpose for you. God loves you. And God is, everything's in your favor already. And the bottom line is, he does not wish that any should perish. But it's our job to go out there and preach the gospel so that none should perish, right? That's what God calls us to do, amen? So let's pick up here. We're in uh, chapter 10. Now we're in verse 12. Sorry about that earlier. So in his bitterness towards God, as I explain what Job's going through right now, he pauses, and this is what's so beautiful. As he's going through all this, accusing God of being unjust, accusing God of bringing him nightmares, saying that God only um, created him to destroy him, he stops for a minute. He pauses. Verse 12, guys. You have granted me life and favor, And your care has preserved my spirit. God is the creator, is the first we know, because he's talking about you have granted me life and favor. The world is not the creator, right? We've never seen a human being created from nothing, right? God is the creator. And then he says, and all life, guys, is through Jesus. And what I mean by all life is mortal life is through Jesus and his father, spiritual life and eternal life. All three come from our creator, Jesus Christ. Job knows at this point God has blessed him, right? He remembers the life that he had. Here he gives thanks to God now in his bitterness. He stops for a minute to think about it. And he mentions God's favor. And he mentions God caring for his spirit. When we're going through trials and tribulations, sometimes we're going through a really hard time in life, we do have to stop for a minute. Whether it be in your prayer closet, whether it be getting counsel from someone who's walking in close to the Lord, We need to stop and remember all the good things that God has done. I say this to the youth group all the time. I say, hey, let's count. I've said this to my children. Let's count all the blessings God's done for us. Right there in that other room when they get to youth group. Let's count all the blessings God's done for us just this morning. Did you wake up? Yes. Did you stand up when you got out of bed? Yes. Did you have food this morning? Yes. Did you sleep with the roof over your head? Yes, they all say. Can you see? Yes. Do you have hands? Yes. Do you have arms? Yes. Can you walk? Yes. Did you have a church to go to this morning? Yes. Did I bring you donuts this morning? Yes, you did. Amen, right? By the time we're done, we have 30 blessings, and it's only, sometimes it's more than that. It's what, 10 in the morning? 10.30? Right? But sometimes we can let the things that distract us in life make us forget about God's goodness. So Job now is stopping and remembering God's goodness. Amen? Did you know when you're walking, he talks about God's favor. Did you know when you're walking in God's will, he is always showing you favor? Did you know that? It's in your favor? For if he is for us, then what? Who can be against us? Amen. In Psalm 35, we read this. For his anger is but for a moment. Listen to this. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. It's like a relationship that I have with my kids, right? I get mad at them, and sometimes they do things they're not supposed to do. And I punish them. I discipline them. But you know what? As soon as that's done, they still have my favor. In fact, even through the discipline, they have my favor, right? I'm disciplining them. Why? Because I love them, right? And I want them to make righteous decisions in their life. They have my favor. That's what it means when it says love hopes all things in the Bible. 
I hope all things for you guys. I hope that you own a house. I hope that you get that new car. I hope that you get a job that's going to glorify God, right? I hope all things for you guys. And that's what, what Job is saying. You guys remember, I remember God's favor. Psalm 84.11 says this, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Listen to that, favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk righteously. So what does that mean? That means when we're walking righteously and we're doing God's will, he doesn't want to withhold anything for us. We have favor. Psalm 90.17, Let the favor, the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Amen? So when you're at work and you're having a really bad day and people are persecuting you because you're a Christian or you didn't get the job promotion, you know what? Remember, things are in your favor. God is working them out, right? Even when we don't see it, he's what? He's working. Even though we don't feel it, he's working, right? Like that song says uh, that Tim always plays in worship. Guys, things are in our favor. So let's walk in that confidence in Christ. Let's walk in Christ in that confidence. Just recently, I had to give a presentation. Um, many of you know I own my own business. And I'm part of the Chamber of Commerce. And part of the business networking group I'm in, um, I got to give a presentation. The presentation can be anything about uh, my work or what we do as a company. So I decided to give a brief um, introduction to my life and who I am and and my kids and my family, and then go into how I ended up running this company. So the, one of the very first things I did is I introduced my wife and kids, and I showed pictures on the projector. And the next thing I actually did is I showed a picture from youth group when me and Josh took the kids up there. And then I showed a picture that I had from the pulpit teaching the word. And what I did is I told them, oh, that's me teaching from the book of Job. I said, not only do I'm on business, but I'm a pastor, and I'm a devout Christian and I'm very outspoken about my faith. Now, a lot of people might not do that, right? Because you're in a room with business owners that are supposed to refer you business. It could offend some people, but you know what? I know I have God's favor, and I walk in the confidence of the Lord. And you know what? If someone doesn't want to do business with me because I love Jesus, that's okay, because Jesus will bring me another customer, amen? I have total faith in God to, to, to provide for my family, Jehovah Jireh. And what does that mean, guys? The great provider. God's promises are true. So walk in that truth. Don't be afraid to share the word of God, even if it's at your job, even if it's um, wherever you are in life. God's going to open divine opportunities for you. A lot of times we just got to be willing to step out in faith and be uncomfortable. Amen? So uh, verse 13. And these things you have hidden in your heart. I know that it was with you, God. So he's talking about what are these things that, he, that God has hidden in his heart? Well, he just said, I remember when things were really good. I remember your overfilling of my cup with wealth. He had 10 children, right? He was one of the greatest. Later we read that he was one of the greatest men in the town, that he was one of the ones on the council, that he would go into the middle of town and they would be judges, right? Because back then that was a judicial system. They would judge who did wrong and right. Job was one of the leading judges, She's like, I remember all these things, Lord. So he says, you have hidden in your heart. So what are these hidden things? Well, in verse 8, right before this verse, one of the hidden things that he remembers, you have made me. Your hands made me, remember? Verse 9, you're a potter. I pray that you remember I'm your clay. So he's telling God, please remember I'm your creation. In verse 11, you clothed me and knitted me together from when I was in the womb. In verse 12, you gave me life and favor. You care for me. So he's like, I know you remember these things, God. Now, see, here's the thing with God, right? God doesn't need to write things down like us. I forget things all the time. How many of you guys forget things all the time, right? God doesn't forget. He remembers all of that. He remembers everything you've ever said to him and everything you've ever done, and he loves you, and the thing is, is he's God, right? He's omniscient. He knows all things, and that's what Job's saying. I know you remember all these things I've done, but yet I'm going through this. Guys, there should also be certain things we hide in our hearts. So he's telling God, you've hidden these things in your hearts. What is one of the main things we should hide in our hearts? God's word should be hidden in our heart. We should know God's word. Psalm 119.11 says this, Your word I have hidden in my heart 
that I might, and here's why. So why do we hide God's word in our heart? Why do we want to know God's word? Why do we want to remember it? Why do we want our Holy Spirit to feed us God's word? And then in that verse at the very end, it's David tells you why. That I might not sin against you, God. Right? So the more of God's word we know, the more the Holy Spirit will speak that word in truth. And then the closer we are to God in knowing that word, when those things come that are temptations for us to sin, we'll remember God's word instantly, right? If you've read God's word three months ago, and then you come to a fork in the road where you have a choice through temptation to either sin or not sin, maybe you're going to make the wrong decision because you haven't read the word in three months. But if I read it this morning, and this has happened to me many times, it's probably happened to all of you guys, where I'll come across something that's tempting me to sin, and I just read what to do the day before, that ever happened to you guys? So we should be in God's word and close to it. Um, you know what? It says the word is inspired by the spirit of God. So where the word goes, the spirit of God goes, goes also. And the more of the word you know and love, the more of the spirit you will experience and the more of God you will experience. I tell that to the youth all the time. So if you're in your word, that's inspired by the, by the spirit of God. Where the word is, the spirit is also. So the more of the word you know and love, the more of the spirit in your lives you're going to experience, amen? It means be close to God and just watch what he does in your life. So then, Job, if you notice in that verse, he says, I know this was with you. You have known from eternity you would bless me. But if God has known from eternity and he's sovereign that he would bless Job with all these things, Job is also questioning, well, wait a second. If you've known everything because you're omniscient, you also knew what? You also knew that I'd be here this day with a bitter soul. You also knew you would take my children. You also knew my wife would curse me. You also knew I'd be sick to the point that I'm disfigured and no one even recognizes me. You also knew that the kids would spit at me and my family members would, you knew all this, God, why? Right, because we do have to realize that about God. He knows all things. So he's like, why would you bring this upon me? So Job right here is in a state of confusion. But he's saying, God, you know all things, you're sovereign. He still knows God in control. He's never denying that. So let me ask you this. What better person to trust in our lives than Jesus? Like I said, who's perfect? He's the perfect judge. He was willing to lay down his life for us. Let me ask this. If I was going through a really tough time and people were accusing me of doing wrong and they wanted to judge me on something I didn't do, I'm telling you right now, I don't know which one of you I would pick to be the judge whether I did it or not. Because I'd always feel like what? You guys are human beings. You can make mistakes and you can also be prone to judging correctly. And also, people are unjust judges at times, right? So if I'm in this situation, you know who I want? I want Jesus. I want God. I want the perfect man, amen? So we should always put Jesus where he belongs. He's perfect and a perfect judge. Full of mercy though, guys, and full of grace, amen? Verse 14 Let's read that. If I sin, then you mark me and will not acquit me of my iniquity. Job is saying, you know when I sin, like we said, he sees the inside of man, what's inside. There's nothing we can hide from God. There's nowhere we can go, right? No, I know nowhere I can go that God doesn't know where I'm at or what I'm doing. And then Job says, and you keep record of it, right? We talked about how God doesn't need to write things down. He already knows. I also know that God cannot leave sin unpunished. That's what Job's saying. I also know, God, because you mark me and you know my sin, I know you can't leave sin unpunished. Is that why I'm suffering? So Job knows as a righteous judge, he has to judge sin, right? He had to judge it. He had to. Past, present, and future sin is what was nailed to that cross. Verse 15, if I am wicked, woe to me. Even if I am righteous, I cannot lift up my head I am full of disgrace. See my misery. If my head is exalted, you hunt me like a fierce lion. And again, you show yourself awesome against me. So he's like, hey, if, if I'm wicked, you're going to bring woe to me. Woe means a great sorrow, by the way. Woe means great sorrow and to have distress. So he's like, hey, if I'm wicked, you're going to bring sorrow to my life. But he's like, if I'm righteous, you also bring distress and sorrow to my life. I can't win. That's where he's at. Even wicked or righteous, God, you'll still condemn me, right? Again, because he doesn't know. We have such a great hope in the New Testament where we're at in time. Amen? Verse 16. 
he's like, it's interesting. I think Job, again, understanding the sovereignty of God, if you notice in that verse 16, he says, if my head is exalted. Um, exalted uh, is the word here in Hebrew. It's ga'ah. It means to lift oneself up, to increase. So what Job is saying is, if I lift myself up and get increase, he's like, then I still get the same condemnation. So he's like, if I get all I had back, everything back, Lord, and I worked hard because you allowed me to, and then you will just, so he's like, if I work really hard and I try to get everything back, and I know you're sovereign, so let's say you even allow me to get everything back that I had, you'll still just hunt me down like a lion and do the same thing over to me again. He's like, it's like a sport to you, God. So he's trying to figure out the character of God. He just, and we wouldn't understand either, right? We understand because we have the whole, the whole canon. We understand the whole Bible, but he didn't. So he's like, I don't understand. Is this like sport to you? Is this a game that you do? So for believers in Jesus, okay, so here's the question, actually. I don't want to skip this. Here's the question. Does God punish sin? He does. Yes. He does, or he wouldn't be what? If God did not punish sin, then what would he be? We talked about earlier. He'd be an unrighteous judge, right? He has to judge sin. It has to be punished. But sin is uh, different for unbelievers and believers. For believers in Jesus, our sin, future, our sin, past, present, and future, has already been judged on the cross, right? That was, he said, tetelestai, it is finished as he was judged for that sin. We will never be condemned, guys, for our sin as long as we believe in Jesus Christ, we love him and we're repentant of what we did, right? And repentance means not just to, to say I'm sorry, but it means to say I'm sorry and then it means to turn, to have a change of mind, to change and go in a different direction, amen? So there's a no condemnation now in those who are with Jesus Christ. But for those who are not in Christ, guys, there is condemnation waiting for them at final judgment of all the dead, and it's mentioned in the book of Revelation. He does punish sin. That's why it's so important, and I always tell people this, and again, I refer to the youth because I'm in there teaching a lot with the youth. I always tell them, guys, have the eyes of Jesus when you look at people, knowing that they may be eternally condemned, that it, we should be desperate for them to know Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll never forget my daughter said this to me when she would come here, Pastor Dave preached, because she lives in Utah. And once in a while she visits. You guys, some of you know, my, many of you know my daughter. And she says, Dad, you know what I love about the preaching in Calvary Chapel, Calabasas? It's like Dave is desperate for everyone to know Christ. Right? We should be desperate for everyone we come in contact to know Christ. So guys, let's look at it that way. So for us, he, dis he, dis he disciplines us. It's not really a punishment. Look at it more as a discipline for us. If, then here's the thing. Like if our earthly fathers disciplined us, right, would you say they weren't a good father? Well, no. If they were using righteous discipline and judgment, you say, no, it was for my better, right, for my good. How much more then should we welcome the discipline of our heavenly father, right? In Hebrews, it says this. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as he deals with sons, guys. For what son is there that the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons of God. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days disciplined, disciplined us. Let's talk about the humans disciplined us as it seemed best to our humanly fathers. But he, for our prophet, God, that we may be partakers in his holiness, guys. So when he disciplines us, we're partaking in righteousness because he's only going to discipline us, right, to turn us towards who? Turn us towards Christ and to turn us towards righteousness. And then when we're walking in righteousness, we're walking in holiness. Now, no chastening seems, now, here's what's great. No chastening seems, this verse, Seems, seems, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful, right? Because sometimes discipline's painful, guys. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness, righteousness to those who, have trained, who are trained by it. I think that says it all, right? That yes, discipline, right? If you ask my kids, do they like being disciplined? Do you guys like being disciplined? I know I don't. Do you like being reprimanded at work by someone who has authority over you? 
I know I don't, but at the same time, when, we, when God disciplines us, it then, brings, it then brings joy and we're trained by it. And it brings peace and fruit, right? Because I'm in peace. I don't know about you guys. When I'm outside of God's will and I'm in opposition to God, I don't have peace. I don't. Things start to creep up in my mind. I start to get anxious. I start to feel stressed. But when I'm walking with the Lord and I'm walking in righteousness, I have that peace of God. Amen? Can I encourage you, even, uh, even though Job thought he was being punished, right, whether he was wicked or whether he was righteous, and neither was the case, right? He wasn't being punished because of that. That you come to a place, that you come to a place where you are praying for you, that you come to a place where you pray as well, that God does discipline you, right? If we're walking in sin, we should come to a place where we want God to discipline us, right? And we want to turn away from that sin. And we want to not be in opposition to God, but we want to be in communion with God, amen? But after you repent, you are forgiven. That's one thing, remember, that I, and I struggle with this. A lot of people struggle with this, and maybe some of you out there. When you repent and you turn away from that sin, don't let it haunt you. Don't think that sin is still following you around. Don't think that sin is being kept on your account by God because it's not. Because that sin was taken, past, present, and future. Jesus went to the cross. They put nails to his hand, and that was nailed to the cross. I heard someone years ago tell me, don't crucify Jesus over and over and over again. He was crucified once, and that sin was paid for. Move forward in your understanding of your sin being forgiven, and move forward always looking towards Christ, and move forward in your life towards your communion with Christ and walking in righteousness. You've been forgiven. Your sin as far is as what? East is from west, guys. And I struggled with that for years. I thought I couldn't be forgiven. I thought God didn't want me. I thought God can't use me. I'm a wicked person. The things that I had done in my life, if I mentioned to you, maybe you would, you would think differently of me. But I thought for 10 years I walked from God because I thought there's no way he'll forgive me for the things that I've done. Little did I know that he would forgive me for the things that I've done and I'd be standing up here preaching his word 10 years later, 12, 15 years later, right? Amen. I always say this. I said it to a brother, I think, earlier to Rob. God does the most impossible things, guys, through the most improbable people. And then Rob said to me, aren't we all improbable? Amen? Guys, don't think, Tim, Pastor Tim, maybe in a million years never thought he'd be up here preaching and leading worship. Joshua maybe never thought he would be a pastor, right? So when you are forgiven and move forward in God, and just see what he has planned for you, right? All that he promised and what he wants to do with your lives. Verse 17, you renew your witness against me and increase your indignation toward me. Changes and war are ever with me. So what he's saying is like, God, you're my enemy and you're at war with me. It's as if you have an army against me and you're the general leading them to do nothing but destroy me. But guys, when going through a tremendous trial, we can feel God is working against us, right? We can feel like that. And that's where Job was. Look, years ago, I had a friend of mine tell me that he honestly felt everything in his everyday life God was doing against him. He was a believer at the time. He actually said to me, he believed God. And this may seem a little bit silly, but at the time, and you know, I just listened. He said, I believe God makes every light, traffic light red for me. Every one of them. He does it just to spite me, he told me. There's real people out there who feel God is doing things to them every day. Can you imagine a traffic light? Now, my look at it is, right, um, I always tell my kids, those in the best situations are those who make the best out of the situations they're in. I tell the youth group that too. Now, here's the thing. I looked at it as, well, maybe God wants me to be more patient, <laughs> right? I'm stopped at a red light and every light I hit red. Maybe he's working on my patience. I look at what God's trying to do. I don't really ask why. As long as I can find peace in it, I'm, I'm good. So Job felt like more witnesses when he says here in that verse, you renew your witnesses against me. He felt like more witnesses came every day, that some, every day it was something new, right? Like I told you, those kids came to spit at him. When we taught this in men's ministry, there was so much they were doing. They actually made Job's name a phrase or a slogan to describe sin. They were coming around going, ah, you're a Job. Oh man, what'd you do in that situation? Did you Job it? Meaning, did you do sin? Did you do wickedness? So every day, Job's like, something new is coming, and new persecution, it doesn't stop. 
So that's where he felt like God was at war with him. So guys, if we're currently going through some kind of tremendous trial, a painful trial, remember that the war is not between you and God, right? Who's the war between? Satan, principalities, and who? And God, right? The war is not with you and God. The war is between God and Satan for you. It's for your souls. They're fighting over us. Which one of us are going to come with him and which one of us are going to reject him and go with Satan? Amen? So remember that. Remember who your enemy is and who your Savior is. Amen? Always remember that in trials. Remember who your enemy is. I'll say it again. And remember who your Savior is. Amen? Verse 18. We're going to read 18, 19, 20. 18 to 22. Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Oh that, I, oh, that I had perished and no eye had seen me. I would have been as though I had not been. I would have been. That's, that would make a great shirt. We should tell Brett to make a shirt. I would have been as though I have not been. That will give us a lot of evangelizing opportunities, right? People will be like, what does that shirt mean? Come to Calvary Chapel, Calabasas and find out. Amen? So 19, I would have been as though I had not been. I would have been carried from the womb to the grave. Verse 20. Are not my days few? Cease and leave me alone, God, that I may take a little bit of comfort, Lord, before I go to the place which I shall not return, to the land of darkness and to the shadow of death, and a land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death without any order, where even the light is like darkness. This is a place that I guess is pretty dark. It's a place where you're saying that there's no light whatsoever, not even a glimpse of light, not even a crack of light. Guys, life is a blessing from God, and we all have purpose, and that purpose is God's purpose, right? To bring the good news to a lost world. That's what the gospel is, right? To preach Jesus Christ. So in verses 18 through 19, basically what he's saying is like, God, if you knew beforehand you were going to do this, why was I born? What's my purpose? I would have been as though I had not been. Verse 19, he's like, I wish I was born a stillborn, right? If there's any of you who have ever lost a baby, that is one of the most heart-wrenching things that can happen to you, right? Carrying a life in you for a period of time and then it being born with no breath, right? See, Job now is kind of just focusing on his own circumstances, but I'll put this out to you if I asked you this. Do you think Job's mom was blessed by his birth? What's the answer? Amen, yes, I'm blessed that I have kids, right? I'm blessed in all the things that I do. Do you think Job's children were blessed by having a father? Yes, because there's many kids who don't have fathers, right? They don't. So they had a father. Do you think Job's servants were blessed that they had a roof over their head and that he treated them fairly and righteously? They could have worked for someone that wasn't righteous, right? And mistreated them. So do you think they were blessed? Do you think they were happy Job was born? I want to say yeah. I think they were happy. See, Job is focusing on his own circumstances instead of thinking about all the blessings that others have experienced through his birth. Would we have this book right now? Would we be here on a Thursday night learning about Job and understanding God's character and our relationship to God if Job had been born dead? Well, I don't know. But one thing I am glad is that we have the book of Job and that I can understand my relationship with God. You know, one of the most interesting things about this book, those of you, many of you might know, when you get to the end, God never tells Job why. He never tells him. Basically, what God says is, Job, you couldn't even begin to understand who I am and what I do. In fact, at one point in the late chapters, and I think maybe somewhere between 38 and 42, one of the most interesting things he tells Job, do you even realize there's places on earth where things grow and I rain on them and they're in the middle of the desert and there's animals who feed on them and all this is going on where there's no man to even benefit from it? There's no human benefit, whatever. There are things going on, Job, you have never seen around the other side of the world that I'm taking care of that man will never even see. It's like you guys ever watch Discovery Channel, right? And you see the that new animal or a new lizard, and it's like, oh, that's growing you know, halfway around the world in some Amazon jungle, and you're like, and, and they find it for the first time, they're like, we never even knew it existed. 
right? That's what God tells Job. Do you understand what I see? He also goes on to tell him in later chapters, do you see the evil that I see at night when everyone's sleeping, Job? Do you know what it's like to have to see that? For the light to rise up on evil every morning and see the evil that goes on and then have to judge it? So he never tells Job why. He just tells Job, I'm not like man. You'll never understand me. So here is Job, though, wishing he had never been born. And he won't get an answer to any of this. There's also Job would give to the poor a lot. He was a very giving man, and we should be giving, right? Uh, That's one of the criteria, actually, for being a pastor and an elder. It's to have a giving heart, to not be greedy. Just so you guys know, it's something that that I've learned. Um, Also, he would take care of widows. He literally, at one point in the book later, he goes to uh, a man's house who's dying, and and he basically tells the widow, I'm going to take care of you. So if Job had never been born, guys, all these blessings wouldn't happen. Our main purpose, guys, is this. And all the law and all the prophets in the Bible said it hangs on these two of the greatest commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Josh and I in the youth group all the time, when we see someone speaking out of turn or someone being mean to each other, we go, love your neighbor as yourself. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself right now? Right? Reminding them of that. On those two commandments, everything else extends. When people walk into this door, we should love them. We should love them. We should want to get to know them. We should want to encourage them. There's nothing like love. And, and, and when I, it took me a, a while in my walk with the Lord to understand that. That when you have love for people, everything else kind of falls into place. And I understood why God said that. First, it has to be God we love most of all. But then after that, we have to love people. What does Pastor Dave always say? The only thing you can take with you to heaven is what? People. Amen. So invest your life in people. Verses 20 through 22, he's like, from the condition I'm in, I only have a little bit of time left. Stop and leave me alone. So if you look in those verses in 20 and uh, and 21, he literally tells God, hey, just leave me alone. Can I have a little bit of peace? Guys, it's better to be in a trial with the Lord than out of a trial without the Lord, right? It's like Daniel, right? It's better to be in the fire with Jesus than to be out of the fire without Jesus, amen? Because Jesus is the one who brings us peace. Going through trials with God is hard enough. Can you imagine? I mean this seriously, and I've thought about it. Me and my wife have talked about this as Christians. And many of you have been through trials. Some of you have had cancer. Many of you have other ailments. Pastor Dave stands up here, and I'm privy to some information, so is Tim, being elders. He's sick, and he shared it with many. Sometimes he's really sick up here. But the thing is, is that we have, as we're going through these trials, can you imagine being without Jesus in them? Can you imagine that? So here's Job saying, leave me alone, but that's the last thing he wants, and that's the last thing we should want. I want to encourage you, anytime you're going through a trial, invite Jesus into that trial, praise Jesus in that trial, pray to Jesus in that trial, and pray he brings you peace. And of course, we're to pray for healing through different trials, especially through sickness, amen? So if Job knew he was being Uh, used as a weapon to defeat Satan, he would have sat back calmly. So if Job had knew all this was going on, that this, like I, for lack of better words, this bet Satan had that if you let me take everything from Job um, and all man has left is his relationship with you, he'll surely curse you. If Job knew how this was going on, he probably would have just sat back, right? If he could see the future, oh, and I'm going to be blessed and God's going to give me back everything I had, he might have just sat back in that trial and said, it's going to be okay. He would have known his, his life wasn't going to be a waste. But if Job only knew God had never taken away his favor, right? This whole time he's going, oh man, I don't have God's favor anymore. But he did have God's favor. And his favor was that Job was still alive and God was still showing him mercy. And he wasn't going to die. And God had great plans for him, right, to restore him. And a lot of times, guys, he has plans for us that as well. So we can't let the obstacles of life, right, And it can be diseases. It can be sickness. It can also be stress. It can also be anxiety. It can also be depression. God has a great plan for us, but we have to see it through, right? And we have to trust in God, and we have to rely on him and his mercy and his protection and know that God is in control. Trust him with everything. God's mercy and protection was still over Job. 
Job would live some 140 years after this and be completely restored. His life would provide us today, guys, with understanding in times of suffering. I thank God that he didn't grant Job his wish, where Job was like, why was I never born? And at one point, he's like, why? Right, right, well, right here, what he said is, why can't I just die? I'm happy God never granted him that wish of not being born, aren't you? Because we have this today. And like I said, I'm sure all his servants are happy, his wife was happy, and all the people he blessed. So we heard from Eliphaz, Bildad, and now Zophar speaks for the first time, and we'll end here. We're going to read verses 11 through um, 3, or excuse me, chapter 11, if you want to turn there, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll go verses, I think, 4 through 6, and we'll be done. Then Zophar, the Namathite, Namathite, answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? So the first thing he's like, you speak a multitude of words. You're like a windbag. You never stop talking and you don't let anyone else say anything. And now it's time for us to say something. And then he says, and do you think because you talk a lot that you'll be vindicated? That somehow you'll persuade us that you're innocent? That somehow you're going to convince us you haven't sinned? The longer you talk, somehow we'll think that? And then he says, should your empty talks make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? So he's like, when you mock us, but also when you mock God, right? Which he's accused God of many different things. Zophar, Zophar, at this point, Job is in sin. He is in sin. Because what is his Job's sin? He wasn't in sin to begin with when Satan attacked him, right? Because God said, look at him in chapter 1. Look at my, my servant, Job. There's no one like him. He's a righteous man, right? But his sin was that he had misrepresented God's character. He accused God of being an unjust God. He accused God of punishing him for no reason. Now see what that was is we know from the book, he didn't know that, but that's not God. God is a just God. See, when we misrepresent Christ or we misrepresent the word of God or we misrepresent God, that's sin, right? Many people do it from the pulpit. They misrepresent God, right? We've seen those people. So, then he tells him, you spoke a lot. You say a lot of things, right? And now Zophar is also going to go on and say a lot of things. But guys, know this, and this is one of my favorite verses. Joshua used to say it to me a lot, and I, and I memorized it, and now I say it. God bless Joshua, amen? He challenges me. But Psalm 1019, in a multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. See, Job in his multitude of words, he kept talking and talking and talking, fell into sin in his accusation of God's character. He misrepresented God. Guys, we can do that too, can't we? When we keep talking, we keep saying things, right, because we feel we have to get a, a, a word in edgewise, or we feel we have to say the last thing to someone, or we feel like our counsel, like, I, I've counseled this guy, but maybe there's something more I need to say, something more to kind of lift his spirits or something, right? And then we can end up falling into sin. Guys, so, and then it says this in James 1.19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath, right? So we should listen. Remember, like I said earlier, this is the mistake these guys made too, his friends. Remember, they were silent for seven days and mourned with him. And that was good. And there was no sin involved in that. But when they started to speak and they were accusing him of sin, they were accusing Job of being something he wasn't, which makes, him, makes them a liar. They were in sin. And then Job, as he started to speak a multitude of words, spoke about the character of God inaccurately. So remember that when we're talking. Just keep our words. Sometimes they need to be few. Verses 4 through 6 of chapter 11. Let's read. For you have said, my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in your eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you, Job, that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, Job, that they would double your prudence. What prudence means is basically wisdom. So he's like, that God's wisdom, would, he, God would show you his wisdom's double yours. Know, therefore, that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. So he's like, Job, you say you're clean before God's eyes, that there's no sin and you don't know why that's happening. this is happening. But if God would only speak back to you, I know he'd have more wisdom than you have in the way you speak, that he would show you your sin. But he's not. 
Job, God is not speaking. So then he goes on and he says there in those verses, so I will speak on God's behalf, right? That's what he's saying. So you know what? I'll speak on God's behalf, Job. And then he even goes on, if you look at verse um, 6, he says, know that God has given you, that's what he means when he goes, God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. What's iniquity? Job's sin. So he's like, you know what? God is actually, by taking your children, by having your wife curse you, by making you sick, by taking all your wealth, he's actually done less to you than you deserve, Job, because you're wicked. You're so wicked, you deserve more than that. So here he is, he takes the position of God, which God never said those things, and now he's, he's, he's kicking Job while he's down. Job's down on the ground, needing a life preserver. Job's drowning, and what does this guy do? He takes the boat and goes the other way. Actually, he doesn't even take the boat and goes the other way. He goes in and starts throwing rocks at him while he's drowning, right? That's what we don't do. Guys, we're to encourage people. But one of the things that he did, speaking on God's behalf, after all, you're mocking God. He should make you suffer worse, I wrote here. What a friend. He's the harshest of all the three. Guys, we should never speak on God's behalf without hearing from God's word first. Amen? When we speak on God's behalf, it should be from God's word, from the Bible, from Scripture. When we speak to correct another man or a woman, it should be from biblical truth. Amen? We should know our scripture. Remember I said to you earlier, that's why it's important to know your scripture. If we speak from our own power and not the Holy Spirit and not from God's word, it's like what these guys did. I guarantee you, you will misrepresent who God is. You will misrepresent what God really wants to tell someone, right? If you're trying to give counsel out of your own power to someone, you're trying to encourage, but you don't know God's word or you're not going back to God's word in order to seek that counsel, you're probably going to misrepresent God. Amen? So when we do that, when we speak to other people and when we're encouraging them, or if we're ever, because the Bible is there to correct and it is to rebuke and the word of God, right, which is inspired by God, it's also there to train a man up that he may be perfect in God's ways of righteousness. So we're called to do that. But guys, we need to know exactly what God says when we're going to present that to someone in sin. And that's what this guy did. He's like, you're in sin, but he didn't hear from God. He was speaking out of his own power. So may we never do that as well. So in recap, God is the creator, right? Not the world. God's the one who gives life. As believers, we have favor from God. And remember, we have it for our whole life when we walk in his righteousness. Walking confidence into situations, your entire life, walking confidence into situations because we have his favor, amen? Remember that. Tomorrow, I have God's favor. If he's for me, who can be against me? God is omniscient. He knows all things from eternity. God has always known all the blessings, but he's also known the sufferings we'll go through. If I'm going to trust my life to one person, it's going to be the person who walked this earth perfectly and is a just judge, and that's Jesus Christ. Guys, God knows our sin, and he does discipline us, but he disciplines us out of love. Discipline is unpleasant and can be painful, but the fruit for those who are trained by it is uncomparable, right, when we walk in righteousness. When going through a tremendous painful trial, know that God is working. He's always working, like that song says. Even when I don't see it, God is working. Even when I don't feel it, God is working. Me and my wife have been saying that a lot. We'll see things and we'll go, man, God is working. Didn't even know it. Life is a blessing from God and we all have a purpose. That's God's purpose, amen? Love, love God, love God, love his word, love people. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. God blesses us because he loves us. Therefore, we should be a blessing to others like Job was to the widow, like Job was to the poor people, like Job was to his servant, like Job was to his children who he sacrificed on their behalf. Guys, if we've been blessed, we should be a blessing to others, amen? We should never be the burden on other people's lives, right? In fact, burdens should go away when we're in the house of someone else. Burdens should go away when we're in God's house, Amen. We shouldn't be the burden. We should be the one alleviating the burden and blessing others. It's better to be in a trial with the Lord than to be out of a trial without the Lord. 
we should never ask God to leave us alone. Amen? We can also think of our lives as a waste, but even when we don't see it, like I said earlier, he's working. And the last part from chapter 11, be quick to listen and slow to speak. For in a multitude of words, what? Sin is not lacking. When we speak from our own power and not the Holy Spirit, we have the possibility and most likely to misrepresent who God is. So let's always speak from biblical truth and through the Holy Spirit, amen? So let's go ahead and close in prayer and if the worship group can come on back up. Uh, Father in heaven, we come before you and we just thank you for this time we've had in your word. I thank you for your precious word. It's full of wisdom, Lord. There's nothing like it. It jumps off the pages and it's full of life. Lord, we thank you for this man, Job, who did suffer, Father. He suffered, Father, and there's no one who has the patience, Father, like he did. May we have that same patience, Lord. Father in heaven, as we go off into this week and tonight, may we remember we have your favor, Lord. May we speak loudly of the truth of your son, Jesus Christ. May we go out there and, Father, offer counseling to the world from a biblical perspective, Father, never misrepresenting you. Then, Father in heaven, may we hide your word in our heart, Lord. May we know your verses, Lord. Father, everything you've written, may we worship you, Father, right now, Father, in song. And again, Father, this Saturday, I pray for the Saturate USA. Father in heaven, may many people show up Father, many hands make light work to serve you. It's not an I have to show up. It's an I get to show up, Lord. So, Father in heaven, bless it, Lord. Have your hand over it. Father in heaven, may you bring people to this church, Lord, and may they find salvation through your word. We are just holy vessels, Father. It's not about the pastor and his preaching. It's not about the pastor. It's about the master. It's about you, Jesus. So, Father, people don't come here to hear me or hear Dave. Lord, they come here to hear your word, and they come here to hear about your son. So, Father in heaven, to saturate USA, Father. Use it mightily, Father, to bring people here and to bring people to salvation. And all God's people said, amen.